Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Sports Huddle, produced and presented by Leeds Hospital Radio Sport. My name is Stuart Taylor, and the plan is that for the next half hour or so, we'll be picking over the best of the recent sporting action, not just in Yorkshire, but further afield if we must, as well as looking at what's in store this weekend. I say we, because I'm joined by two titans of Leeds Hospital Radio Sport in Bernie Thornton and Tony Chalk, and if sporting knowledge were a Winter Olympic sport then there's no doubt in my mind that Bernie and Tony would have joined Eve Muirhead and a merry band of curlies in bringing home a second gold medal for Britain. Hello, both. Hi, Stuart. Hello, Stuart. <laughs> so, well, let's crack on. We've got, uh, we've got loads to talk about. We're going to cover uh, local football, our West Yorkshire um, league teams. Uh, we'll have a look in at the Six Nations. We'll touch on a, a bit of rugby league. Uh, Leeds Rhinos, of course, in action tonight for their third game of the season and looking to register their first victory against Catalans. And we've got a we've got a broadcasting team actually. We're covering it on Leeds Hospital Radio tonight. Um, we might just have a little dip into washing up the Winter Olympics if we get chance, and then we'll finish off with uh, your sporting moments of the week as we do now. So first of all, Leeds United. So. Leeds have now conceded 56 goals this season, the highest in the Premier League, more than they conceded in the whole of the last um, last season. 31 goals they've conceded in the last nine, 16 in just the last four matches. Now then, Tony, Marcelo Bielsa has been immortalised in paint on many a building across the city. Is it time to get the brushes out and deface those murals? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think that's ever going to happen um, because uh, uh, I think enough people will remember uh, where the club was when he took it over and what he's done with the players largely that he inherited at that time. Yes, obviously he's brought some people in to strengthen, but but a lot of those players uh, who just seem to be mediocre championship players, he's made into uh, uh, Premier League players. So I don't think his uh, his legacy is is going to be... Uh, in danger at all. Uh, what I do think is in severe danger is Leeds United's Premier League status. Uh, mm. And I have said for a while that I thought they might get involved in a dogfight. Uh, I now think it's going to be more than a dogfight because I, I personally think that um, the relegation struggle is going to probably come down to four clubs. Uh, Norwich, Watford, Leeds and Brentford. Because uh, I can't see Newcastle going down. They, they haven't lost in the last five. They've obviously bought play. We knew they'd be able to buy their way out of it, and, and they have done. I can't really see Everton going down. I, I, it's, I know they're not playing well, uh, but, but I, I can't see them going down. Uh, and one thing that struck me right through the season has been how uh, calm Sean Dyche has been throughout the season when it looked as though Burnley were going nowhere at all, but he's always been quite calm, said, you know, we're getting things together and we're not playing that badly. And and you look at the result and they haven't lost that many and they haven't lost that badly. And they're starting to score a few goals now. Uh, and, and that win against Tottenham uh, the other night um, showed, I think, I, I think they will get out of it. Um, so I think it's going to come from the other four. Um, and I think an important factor will be Roy Hodgson's nous, whether he can... Because uh, he's never been relegated from the Premier League, I don't think, uh, yeah. as a manager. Uh, so is he going to be able to sort them out to a, a sufficient extent to keep them up? Um, I don't know. 
But Leeds, uh, at the moment, I saw them against uh, Manchester United on Sunday because the match was televised, of course, and uh, I watched that. And uh, very entertaining again, as it often is. Uh, but they were just too open. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I suppose it's a minor thing, but I thought McTominay should have been sent off. I thought the referee was weak on that. Uh, but apart from that, you couldn't really criticise the, the, the referee. So it really was um, Leeds defensive frailty I'm afraid uh, and with the situation we don't know when Bamford's going to come back will he be back this season even uh, it seems very mysterious about his injury Calvin Phillips hopefully be back next month uh, I'm not sure about Liam Cooper um, if they come back it may it may help but I mean with Tottenham at home at the weekend I know they're in a poor run as well really although of course they did in the middle of that run win at Manchester City which is extraordinary um, so um, it's it's difficult to know where it's going but but they've got some tough fixtures I mean they've got City and Chelsea at home to play they've got to go to places like Arsenal and Wolves it's difficult to see them getting anything out of those. So you start looking for the matches where they can get something out of. And, and even against teams like, you know, Southampton, well, they're playing well at the moment. So I, I really do worry about Leeds. Um, uh, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if it's another blob at the weekend. Uh, uh, and then alarm bells are really going to start ringing louder and louder. But I, I think they're in trouble. Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess I wasn't worried until... Probably, uh, certainly, end, end of January, I was still thinking that... The Newcastle game, that was the one that set my alarm bells ringing. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, you know, the, the four results in February so far, um, you know, started off with a three-all draw against Aston Villa, which they, they, they could easily have won, I think. But that, since then, uh, lost 3-0 to Everton, 4-2 to Manchester United, and 6-0 last night. So, you know, they've conceded 16 goals in the last four games. Mm. So, mm. so the defensive frailties are, are, are getting, they're getting worse. And mm. I think that's, that's mm. the issue. That's mm. the issue. Um, mm. It seems to me that, uh, you know, has tried various people in that, Holding role in front of the back four that that Kevin Phillips, Calvin Phillips, I beg your pardon, does so well. Mm. I mean, I, I should say it's not just the defensive um, strength that uh, that Phillips brings to the side, but also those fantastic long-range diagonal passes that he launches to to both flanks uh, to set leads on on, on the counter. Mm. And, uh, they're, they're missing that just as much, and um, you know, alongside Daniel James, who's Manfully filling in for Patrick Bamford, mm, but, you know, mm. he just isn't a number nine, and I, I sometimes wonder why he doesn't put Rodrigo in there, who's, who's mm. playing that role for Spain, for goodness sake, but uh, mm. seems to insist on thinking that he's, he's more of a number 10. Mm. But yeah, so Leeds have got uh, Spurs, uh, it's uh, lunchtime kickoff, it's on Saturday, it's uh, 12.30, and uh, if you're listening to us on Leeds Hospital Radio, and uh, you're uh, unfortunately still to be in hospital at the weekend, then we'll be covering that match live uh, from Ellen Road with a kickoff at 12.30. So uh, please do tune into that one uh, if you possibly can. So uh, that's Leeds done. We'll now move on to Huddersfield Town, and we've got a drum roll as uh, as I bring uh, our colleague Bernard Thornton in, who's uh, a lifelong Huddersfield Town fan, and uh, we're 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 around a virtual table, so we can see each other, and I can see Bernard's smile uh, from from here, which looks great. So Bernard, um, 16 games unbeaten now in all competitions, up to fourth. 
only two points off automatic promotion. You were there last night to see them uh, snatch uh, victory from the jaws of defeat for once um, with an 88th minute and 90 plus six uh, goal. So how are you feeling? Well, uh, disbelief to us. You've given it a very good build up, but uh, I think uh, and, and you've said several times on this programme that uh, I've, I, particularly, and Huddersfield fans in general, are a little bit glass half empty. We can't quite get ourselves excited because we're not quite sure what's around the corner. And uh, I think that comes from having suffered through four seasons of constant battles against relegation. But uh, I think now that uh, things are, uh, the way things are going, as you say, 16 matches unbeaten, it's uh, it's quite, uh, uh, quite remarkable, really. And I do believe that over the last week, Huddersfield have stepped it up yet another gear because that victory at Fulham on Saturday was quite outstanding. It was a wonderful defensive performance yeah. and against a very, very good side who've been scoring goals for fun. And uh, I think Town were full value for that victory. Uh, that was one of the best results they've had in many a long year. And then, uh, if anything, in, in, in some ways, the performance last night was even better. It wasn't as good a performance as a team because for a long, long period of the game, the game, they didn't really threaten Cardiff. And when Cardiff scored uh, fairly early in the second half, uh, Town kind of changed the system a little bit and they started applying a bit more pressure, pumping, um, perhaps going a bit more direct. But uh, the important thing at the end of the day is that they came back from the dead, as you say, scoring in the 88th minute and the 96th minute. And it was, it, it, I wouldn't say we all thought it was going to happen, but we weren't surprised it did happen because the, the, the team is on such a roll at the moment that they, uh, that no one was surprised when it happened. And the, the atmosphere in the ground, the, uh, the camaraderie uh, between the players themselves and between the players and the fans, it's something we haven't certainly haven't seen for five years since the previous promotion season. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's happy days at Huddersfield Town. Um, I'll just say one, one more thing before I pass it back to you two guys, but uh, I, I know you like a stat, Stuart. Oh. You like a few stats, so how about this one? Out well. of yesterday's starting 11, how many of those 11 do you think actually cost Huddersfield Town money? To buy. Um, I would think not many, actually. Probably three. Well, you're, you're overestimating, actually. <laughs> one. Just <laughs> one player cost money. <clears throat> really? Sober Thomas. And he was bought for... A, nobody knows how much he was bought for. It was probably around about a quarter of a million from... Uh, uh, what do they call them? Um, Boreham Wood. Oh, uh, yeah. So he, he was brought in in January last year for somewhere around 200,000, 250,000. Aside from him, we had uh, Lewis O'Brien who came through the academy. Sinani is on loan from Norwich. And the only one who is going to cost anything at all is Dwayne Holmes, who is uh, on a performance-related uh, bonus, which will be payable now, no doubt, because he's played quite a lot. Eight players are from that uh, starting 11 on free transfers. Now, put that together with what I've been saying and what we've all said about the performances and how well they've done and how well they're uh, where they are in the league. And that is some achievement by not just the, co the, the head coach, 
but the whole management structure, they've taken some stick in the past to, for some poor signings, but uh, I think uh, they've they well and truly put that to bed now. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's really impressive, and I think that's uh, that is credit to um, uh, to the coach and his team. I think um, you know, Carlos Cobran, he came in uh, from uh, Leeds, of course. He was assistant to Marcelo Bielsa. Came in at a difficult time, probably because Huddersfield uh, had just fired the Cowley brothers, who were who were popular. Uh, and I don't think fans saw that uh, sacking coming. He had a difficult first season in Carlos Cobran, but was able to put his, his has the board have kept faith with him, as it were, and he's been able to put his stamp on it. And uh, what I do like about uh, Town is, uh, and this is really is down to Cobran, this year he's changed his, his back five almost entirely. Uh, and it's, uh, it's like the land of the giants now at the back, isn't it? So... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, they're much more uh, equipped to deal with set pieces uh, defensively and also cause more of a threat offensively. And we all know that set pieces are such a big part of football these days. Um, but they've just got such a strong ethic, work ethic. And also, what I would also say, Bernard, is that, you know, looking at the subs bench last night, I think, really confirms how far Huddersfield have come and how far they've strengthened the squad. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's no more, isn't it? It's no more, is it? Filling the bench with, um, you know, with youngsters. Leads. Take note. Um, there's some. There's some. <coughs> there's some real experience in there. So, uh, no, great, um, great times for town, uh, Bernard. And uh, I, I, I can only wish you all the best. And um, I still think Middlesbrough uh, are. Um, just in the wings there, they recorded their seventh successive home win uh, earlier on in the week against West Bromwich, West Bromwich Albion. Their previous, uh, their home defeat against Preston North End uh, just after the arrival of Chris Wilder um, clearly spurred them on. And since then, they haven't lost. Uh, they've, they've won seven successively at uh, at the Riverside. But I think they'll be, take some beating. But um, uh, come on, town. Who have you got at the weekend? It's Birmingham, Birmingham away. Birmingham mm. away, that's right. And then yeah. Peterborough after that, I think. Peterborough at home, and then the uh, small matter of the uh, fifth round FA Cup tie against Nottingham Forest. Yeah, mm. things are looking up. Happened. We'll eventually, Bernard, we will eventually get you drinking out of a glass half full. <laughs> we'll work on it. Anyway, that's uh, that, that, that's town. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about Bradford City. Um, wow. Uh, there's been uh, quite some events at uh, Bradford City over the last uh, week or so. I think it was a week last Tuesday, Derek Adams, the manager, departed. Um, I was at Valley Parade on Tuesday night to see Bradford beaten by Harrogate Town 3-1. In the end, it was a deserved victory for Harrogate Town, I have to say. And um, Bernard, I know you like a stat, so I shall reciprocate by saying that uh, um, Harrogate have now played Bradford four times in the league and they've won all four and they are only the third side to inflict four defeats on Bradford City in their four in their first four league meetings the other two sides Liverpool 1904 to 1909 and Ipswich 1986 to 88 so well, there that is some statistical tunneling there, Stuart. <laughs> so that was met with silence. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, 
Bradford, um, I, I, I felt sad actually. I felt sad on Tuesday night. I think Bradford are, are, really are at a crossroads. They're uh, they're in fifteenth place now. That was their eleventh defeat of the season. Uh, they got thirteen games left. Uh, very little chance, if any, of uh, achieving their ambition of uh, hitting at least the playoffs this season. But the big news today, Tony, is that uh, Mark Hughes has been appointed as manager. So he is, is he the man to provide a spark to oh. Bradford City's fortunes? Dear me, I, I will, uh, I will ignore, I will ignore that one. <laughs> um, well, I, it's uh, certainly a, an appointment out of left field. I can't imagine anybody saw that one coming at all. Um, he's been out of management since I think 2018. Uh, when he was sacked by Southampton, was it? Uh, I think he was out then. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's got a wealth of experience, obviously. He's managed uh, quite a few Premier League sides, including uh, Manchester City, of course, for a while, and, and Chelsea, I think. Uh, so he's certainly uh, a top name, uh, very high-profile career, Wales manager as well, of course, at one time. Um, and uh, I suppose the question is going to be, um, how long will they will they hang on to him? Because if he is successful, I'm sure there'll be clubs higher up the leagues uh, looking to... Uh, to pick him away. Um, but uh, in the short term, which is what they've got to focus on, um, can he get Bradford City on a winning run? Um, I hope so. Uh, it would be good to see, because some of the results recently have been very poor indeed, and, and I gather that the performances have been uh, equally poor to match, as it were. Uh, they're at home, I think, to Mansfield at the weekend, yeah. who, who yeah. are somewhere up around the playoff places. So that'll be a, a good test for them. And if he can get a result there, that that that, that will be good. But you said you you you, you were sad on Tuesday. Now, I was happy, of course, because uh, I've got a soft spot for Harrogate Town, and uh, um, they got their dangerous scoreline of three-one because the previous two times that they they managed to get three-one leads, they managed to draw against Rochdale, like it was, and then. Um, uh, three one up against Exeter with twenty minutes to go and lost four three. So uh, alarm bells would have been ringing. But um, good to see them uh, back on winning ways because they've been a bit up and down recently. Uh, and I think that um, that actually took them did it take them a point above Bradford in the table. I think so. They're both kind of comfortable mid table, but it'd be difficult to see either really challenging for. Uh, the playoffs this year unless they, they have a spectacular run but uh, uh, from Harrogate's point of view of course um, the fact that they've established them so well self so well as a as a League Two side after coming into the league for the first time um, that's got to be a positive hasn't it for a, a relatively small town like Harrogate yeah absolutely I, I... Um, I thought Harrogate were very easy on the eye. Actually, I have to say they were, they look forward to they, they look to get forward at every opportunity. They've got goals um, throughout the team. And Muldoon and Armstrong have scored ten apiece. Mm, Armstrong, yeah. I thought, who they brought in from Hartlepool uh, um, last summer, he looked um, he looked sharp actually. And of course, they got Jack Diamond back again now on loan. Yeah, they? on loan from mm. Sunderland, he was um, he was really energetic throughout. Scored his ninth goal this season. Patterson, uh, I think they brought in. I can't remember who they got him from. But he's got eight, and they have got George Thompson in midfield, who scored four and five assists. Uh, five assists. It's just their defensive frailties have probably let them down because you know mid October they were they were second mm. uh, only to Forest Green, but uh, they lost uh, I think five on the trot in December and early January and. Uh, uh, you mentioned um, you know, the, the, the number of goals they've conceded. I think they came into Bradford's game having conceded at least three goals in the last four away games. 
and mm. were fighting to avoid the ignominy of matching Rotherham United, who conceded at least three in five successive away games in September 2016. Are you, trying to get a, are you trying to get a job on TMS or something? There's a statistician here. <laughs> Um, but uh, no, if you ever get if you get a chance to watch Harrogate, I, I, I would recommend it. And uh, hopefully, better times ahead for for Bradford City. And they really do think about a root and branch approach rather than you know promotion is imperative uh, to Division One. I think they've got a League One. They've got to think further than that. But uh, we'll keep an eye on Bradford, who you're quite right, play Nigel Clough's uh, Mansfield at the weekend. So that's football. Let's leave football now. Let's move on to uh, Six Nations uh, Rugby Union. Uh, it's the third weekend of matches this weekend. Uh, on Saturday, kicks off with Scotland versus France, which I think will be a good watch. Uh, followed by, of course, uh, the big one as far as we're concerned, England versus Wales at Twickenham. And then on Sunday, a stroll in the park for Ireland against Italy. Um, Tony, uh, Courtney Lowe's returns as captain for England. Manu Tulilagi was back, but I just mm. see that uh, he's um, hamstring with a mm. hamstring injury. Um, so, Tony, just a sort of synopsis of um, of how you see the third weekend going and um, what's hot and what's not. Yeah, um, well, I suppose we we'll start with, start with start with the last one, as it were, which is the uh, the, the most straightforward one. I mean, Ireland should certainly uh, be far too strong for Italy. Uh, England beat them handily enough. Um, played well in the first half, I thought, uh, but then sort of slightly went to sleep. I think the match was a bit dead in the second half. But um, Italy have shown a bit of a bit of promise this year, and and, and with a squad that's as young as it is, um, maybe there is some hope for the future. And let's hope that uh, that they do start to compete a bit more. But uh, Ireland are going to be too strong for them, um, uh, and they they will still be I, I think right up there at the top although it's difficult to see France not not winning it now but uh, the Ireland-France game in, in the second round of matches was a terrific match I thought um, which France just about deserved to win uh, but, but Ireland will win that. Scotland and France uh, well yeah after all the hype about Scotland and how good they were against England uh, I still say England lost that match rather than Scotland winning it and so I shouldn't no tears at all when Wales put them in their place um, and, and uh, uh, it was certain that Wales would come back with a, with a more spirited performance because they were dreadful in Ireland in the first match uh, but they, they raised it in front of the home crowd and, and, and got a good win so uh, Scotland I think have, so, have one or two injuries now as well um, and even though it's at Murrayfield and, and there'll be a, uh, obviously a very partisan crowd there as there always is uh, it's difficult to see them being strong enough to hold France who, who do look a a very good side at the moment and uh, must be favourites to, to, to take the Grand Slam and the Championship this year. So I'd expect Scotland to beat uh, France. Um, oh, sorry, France to beat Scotland yeah. at Murrayfield. Um, the, the match that I'm going to is the one down at Twickenham, England and Wales. Oh. Uh, and I, I think England should win it, actually. I, I'm not terribly convinced by England yet this season. Uh, they should have beaten Scotland. Obviously, they beat Italy comfortably. I'm I'm struggling to see them beating either Ireland or France, I must say, but I think they'll probably have too much for for Wales. As you say, Courtney Laws is back in the pack, which means uh, uh, he takes over the captaincy. Maro Itoji moves up into the second row. The fact that they've lost um, uh, Tuolangi in, in, in 
midfield means there's going to be a, obviously a change there to partner Henry Slade. Don't know. There's not been any news as to, to who, who they're going to select in his place. The interesting one, of course, is that Harry Randall has kept his place at scrum half alongside Marcus Smith, which means that Ben Youngs will have to uh, wait for his record-breaking 115th yeah. cap coming off the bench on, on, on Saturday, which I'm sure he will do, and he'll no doubt get a, a very good reception. Um, Wales are, are strengthened. They've got Josh Adams, I think, back in the side, uh, and also uh, Tulupi Falatau is back at number eight. Uh, but I think, still to me, crucially, one man who's missing, of course, is Alan Wynne-Jones. Uh, and I think he's still a tremendous effect on that on that Welsh side. Uh, and I've no doubt they'll put up a, a strong performance at the weekend. But I think England should be strong enough to beat them at Twickenham. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, just one thing that did uh, catch my eye, uh, Tony, was um, Wales leaving out Louis Rees-Zamet. Mm. Who, um, last year, I think, was nominated for Breakthrough Player of the Year after his performances in the 2021 Six Nations, which, of course, Wales won. And he was a, a star turn in that. Mm. Uh, but uh, a bit like uh, Leeds United, I guess, is he suffering from second season, second season syndrome? syndrome? Yeah, there was um, certainly there were one or two. Incidents. I can't remember now whether it was in the match against Ireland or, or whether it was against Scotland. It was probably in the Ireland match. And there were one or two occasions when I thought his defensive frailties showed through, should we say. Uh, and I suspect that, that that's going to be uh, possibly what's what's influenced them in leaving him out. Because I think they've selected Alex Cuthbert, I think, on the other flank, haven't they? He's yeah, kept his yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my, that's my guess. Although I don't think Cuthbert's got the greatest um, reputation as a, as a defensive player either, to be honest. But uh, uh, yeah, Obviously, he was spectacular against Scotland, I think it was last year. He scored a couple of brilliant tries against Scotland, if I remember correctly. Um, but uh, this season, uh, not quite so good. Uh, he probably hasn't had, to be fair, the service that he had at times last year, uh, because very much it was a, a dogged performance against Scotland, and, and, and they just didn't play at all against Ireland. So he's probably not had much chance to run with the ball, which is obviously his forte. Uh, and his all-round game has been tested a bit more uh, and found to be a little bit wanting in, in some ways. It's not surprising because he's, he's very young, of course. His no. time will come, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's great, Tony. Thank you very much for that. Enjoy your trip down to Twickenham. I've got uh, very fond memories of uh, certainly during the 80s and 90s being entertained royally in the, uh, I think, is it the West Car Park uh, <laughs> yeah. beforehand by uh, various spirits mm. companies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all changed now. It's not the West Car Park anymore. It's more of a sort of tented village, I think. They call yes, it. that's right. The BT yeah. village or something. So it, it, it's it, lost it always, something there. Uh, it always got very messy and the challenge was always getting the last train home and also staying awake on that last train. And I, I, I do have stories of ending up in various railway sidings and being woken up by cleaners. Um, in those days, they used to kick off at 2.15 as well, didn't they? So. Oh, uh, we, we did it properly. Uh, we'll move on. We'll move on <laughs> before I implicate myself further. Um We'll just very briefly touch on rugby league because I, I do want to move to sporting moments of the week because we've we've got two crackers this week and uh, so I think uh, they're they're both worth um, uh, some time. So just in terms of Super League, um, we've got uh, both Rhinos and Huddersfield Giants in action uh, as we speak on this Thursday evening. I know the recording's going out um, later on, so by the time you hear this, you'll know the scores. But um, 
Uh, but currently it's uh, nil-nil at Headingley between Rhinos and Dra- Catalan Dragons, which is uh, an unusual score after probably half an hour or so. And Wigan Warriors, who I- I'm sure will be looking to uh, uh, challenge St. Helens this year. St. Helens looking for a- an unprecedented fourth um, Grand Final Shield. And uh, if anybody's uh, determined to uh, to break that run of victories, then that, that'll be Wigan Warriors. And uh, they won handsomely against uh, Rhinos last week in the leading Huddersfield Giants by 16 points to six and looking to inflict the Giants' first defeat uh, this season. Uh, so we'll hopefully spend a little bit more time on Super League uh, next week. But let's uh, let's move on now to... Uh, to sporting moments of the week, and this is the sort of the the, the finale of the program where I just ask uh, each of uh, uh, Bernie and and Tony to uh, give me their favourite sporting moment of the week or the sporting moment that caught their attention. And uh, Bernie, we'll let you kick off because I think you're going to talk about a local lad. I am indeed, Stuart. I'm staying very close to home today. I'm uh, going to concentrate on Wharfdale's finest. Our very own Harry Brook, who, if you, uh, well, if, if you go back 12 months, the talk about Harry was that he really needed a strong season with Yorkshire. And he got that strong season. He'd been around for three seasons or so, and uh, he, he promised a lot without actually delivering a great deal. And it really was a make or break season for him, I think, last year. And he did very well indeed, both in the red ball and the white ball game, and came out of it with flying colours. Now, he's made his debut recently for England's one-day side, of course, and um, he's also uh, starring at the moment in Pakistan, for, in the Pakistan Super League for Lahore Kalandas, who Yorkshire are in a, a, a relationship with um, in terms of swapping players and various other things. And on, uh, over the weekend, he delivered with 102 not out from 48 deliveries which is remarkable by any standards. And um, Harry, uh, yeah, he, uh, he helped his side to victory over Islamabad. And, uh, yeah, he, he, it's the second fastest 100 in Pakistan Super League history. I don't think that history goes back an awful long way, but uh, we'll, we'll let that pass. Uh, but nevertheless, by, by any standards, it's a ra- remarkable achievement. And uh, it's kind of catapulted him into the stratosphere of one-day cricket now, internationally, I think. People are really taking notice of this lad. And uh, he's gone from uh, a question of, well, will he make it or won't he make it, to becoming uh, something of a global superstar now With uh, on the back of that innings. I hope I'm not putting too much pressure on him here, but uh, he's, he's done extremely well over the last 12 months and uh, thoroughly deserving, I think, of my nomination for Performance of the Week. Yeah, that's great, Bernie. I think um, it's great that you should um, flag him up. I, I saw the innings um, live and he batted absolutely superbly. And um, David Gower, who's uh, commentating actually uh, for, on the Pakistan uh, Super League, um, he was gushing in his praise about uh, Harry Brook and uh, he made the point that he wasn't slogging. He was playing proper cricket shots. Mm. His timing was absolutely superb. He probably, you know, he got away with a couple early doors, as as as, as you do. You make your own luck, I guess, in 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 in, in T20 cricket. Um, 
but he's um, he put on a hundred in no time with Fakir Zaman, who's the star opening batsman for for the calendars. He's uh, he scored uh, over 600 runs now, I think, and that's the highest ever in seven editions of the Pakistan uh, Super League. Uh, but Fakir man uh, was just happy to play the secondary role as uh, as, as Harry just, uh, well, he was just um, smoking it, basically, around the ground. And uh, it really was impressive. And uh, as David Gower said right at the end of the innings, he said, He's put his name in lights, and uh, you know what an experience for a young man. He was uh, he was 23 the day before yesterday. I saw his, I was speaking to his grandmother yesterday, and they said they they they, they baked they, they presented him with a big cake. Um, but you know, 23 years old, playing in front of 30,000 fa- adoring fans in in uh, in Lahore. What a fantastic experience that is. And the other point is, of course, that you know, he's he's playing in conditions that are pretty alien. You know he. He will looking at that wicket. He will not played on on a 22 yards of baked mud, baked and rolled mud before, because that's what if, if effectively what it is. There's not a blade of grass on it. Mm. Um, but uh, you know he adapted very quickly, and uh, I, I was so pleased for him. And uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the world's his oyster now. I think I think, and uh, particularly, and I hope across, and I really do hope across all forms of the game as well. Mm. I mean, Tony. Uh, you're a uh, a life member at Yorkshire, and um, I, I just hope that you get many more years of watching uh, watching Harry in action at Headingley. Uh, well, yeah, I hope so. I, I have to correct you. That. I'm not I'm not a, li- a life member. No, <laughs> I haven't forked out to that extent. I'm afraid. Uh, right, right. But right. I have been a member uh, for what? most of my life. I Sorry, life, life sentence. Life sentence. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, it's uh, well. I joined in 1977, so uh, that's oh, not, it is a life 45 sentence. years. That's quite a long time, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah well, uh, there were a couple of innings that he played in the uh, T20 league last year. I think one, one was one against Worcestershire and. Uh, he and Jordan Thompson, I think, put on a lot of runs after Yorkshire were four down very quickly at the beginning. And also his innings against Lancashire, when I, I seem to remember he took Mahmood in the last last over for uh, yeah. a lot of runs. And, and that wasn't slogging. Uh, no, no, that, no. that was timing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the lad's got talent. Uh, I, I just hope that... Uh, he shows it as well in in the Red Bull game. He gets the chance to show it in the Red yes. Bull game because yeah. uh, because he's certainly good enough to play. Yeah. I would think at Test level uh, yeah. if if his uh, if his yeah. game develops as, as it should do, and and it would be a great shame if he got uh, yeah. sort of uh, shoehorned into the idea of just being simply a T20 player, which. You know, quite a few of them uh, of, of these so-called young guns coming through now, the likes of Bampton and things. I, I think will never make Test match players, but uh, obviously they can play one-day cricket. But but uh, uh, but he's a very talented player, and uh, yeah, well, let's just hope that he, that he does well. Uh, the problem you said, I hope you get to see many more times with him. The better he does, of course, uh, the less and less we'll see of him at Yorkshire. That's fair point. Way fair of the point. modern game. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, he's doing very well with the calendars. Uh, hopefully, he'll he'll contest the the final of the Pakistan uh, Super League on Sunday. I think it is. They uh, they lost the uh, the semi final against the Moulton Sultans, which is the 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 best name I think in cricket. Um, but they've got another chance when they play against the third the winner of the third and fourth side. But uh, yeah, uh, good luck to the calendars. Harry Brook, of course, uh, the other overseas player is the Lancashire batter 
um, Phil Salt. So I'm sure uh, there'll be that sort of red rose and white rose combination. We'll see them through to victory. So uh, that, that's Harry Brook. Thanks, Bernard, for that. That's fantastic. And uh, we'll um, we'll finish with um, with Tony's uh, sporting moment of the week. And I think I know what it might be. Yeah, I, I I was almost drawn off off track today when Mark Hughes was appointed at Bradford City, thinking that that ought to be the sporting moment of the week because it was such a, a turn up for the book. But uh, I, I'll, I'll stick to what I originally thought, which is uh, it was a long wait. It was was it fourteen, fifteen, sixteen days? But finally, GB got a gold medal at the end of the Winter Olympics. The uh, the men's curl has got the got the silver and. Uh, could have could have taken the goal. I suppose that was pretty close as well. They just lost uh, very closely. You know, there was five four to Sweden uh, at the extra end. Uh, but uh, the the women who, in some ways, I suppose it was one of those things you just wondered if it was in the stars or something. Because at one point it looked as though they were going out, and they had to win their last match to have a chance of getting through to the semi-finals, which they did. And then they had to rely on other results going their way. And in the end, it came down to this uh, sort of closest to the pin uh, thing of, uh, yeah. uh, of this sort of shootout that they have before they start um, to see who gets nearest to the, the, the centre of the house. And uh, uh, the, the, they came out uh, with one of the poorest statistics in that. But thankfully, it was better than the two other clubs that were or the two other teams that were level with them on five wins. So they managed to scrape through to the semi-finals, and then had a very good win in 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 the uh, in the semi-final against uh, the Swedish women. Uh, it looked as though they, they 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 were going to be wiped out there, of course, because they were four nil down after the first end. Uh, and then it, they, when they got four on uh, one of the later ends and led by three going into the final end, it looks as though they were through. Only for Sweden to get three on the last end and take it to the extra end uh, but they did get through they had the hammer in the last on the last end and got through to the final uh, and it in the end I guess I didn't stay up to watch it because in the middle of the night but uh, it was actually quite a one-sided final because they uh, they got ahead early I think they got two on the first end uh, against Japan and and sort of held them at, at, at distance ever after that, uh, and then had uh, four at something like the seventh end, which put them out of sight at something like eight three ahead or something, uh, and then they they closed it out with one end to spare, winning very easily ten three. Uh, so uh, great for Eve Muirhead, I think was it, was it her third or fourth Olympics? I'm not quite fourth. sure. But she, fourth. She, fourth was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she'd previously uh, she'd she'd had uh, I think a silver medal. Uh, or possibly a bronze medal, but she'd always coveted the uh, the gold, and she finally got it. And uh, I, I think, apart from her, it, it's quite a young uh, rink, isn't it? There, so so the the others, uh, and she's not that old. I mean, she's what twenty nine or something. Uh, so the others uh, are, are very much at the start of their careers. So uh, good luck to them. They could be yeah. a, a force in women's curling for a long time to come. Yeah, thanks, Tony. I, I was beginning to think you sounded like Steve Cram for a minute with your expertise about curling. That was. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> just very nicely. I mean, a couple of things. Curling sort of grabs us, doesn't it, every four years? And I, and I, mm. and I was thinking about this. Why does it? I, I guess it's because, um, you know, we could all probably do it. I guess you know, if we got a, if we got a sweeping brush and a couple of uh, granite rocks, granite rocks, and found some ice, I guess we could get on with it. I, I suspect it's one of these things that's not quite as easy as it looks. <laughs> um, sure. I mean, I've no doubt we could all go out onto uh, the local 
Bowling Green tomorrow and have a, a decent game and play quite respectably. But I suspect yeah. if we tried curling, yeah. it could get a bit embarrassing. <laughs> I think I'd be all right with getting the stone down the other end. It will be when the sweeping brush comes into yeah. play. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always amazes me, actually, when they're sweeping, how they manage to avoid kicking the, the stones that are already there. But they somehow managed to, to jump agile, over they? Very agile. And the other point, of course, is that I, I was delighted for even your head, actually, because you're quite right. She's four, it's her fourth Olympic. She was, uh, I think she skipped GB. Uh, she was the youngest ever skipper. She was the youngest uh, ever skipper, yeah. 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, with a really fancy uh, hairdo at the time, she has sort of blonde highlights. Uh, now at the uh, ripe old age of 31, uh, 31 she's, yeah, right. she's got a gold medal. But she's a high achiever because uh, not yeah. only is she now a, a gold medalist, she's she plays golf off scratch. Oh. Uh, she was offered as a as a teenager, she was offered scholarships to American university golf scholarships to American universities. Mm. And also has competed regularly in the World Bagpipe Championships. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get all this information from? <laughs> and, and of course, she's from a high achieving family. You know, her family, uh, sorry, her father, uh, he, um, he curled, if that's the right phrase. He curled mm. in the Olympics and both her brothers uh, play uh, curling, I think, at a, at, a, at a very high level, even possibly a professional level. So, um, uh, and she's just one of those people that you look at her, you can just steal, see that steely determination. Mm. Her, and, mm. and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't like to cross her. That's for sure. I would not like to cross her. I think, yeah. uh, Very piercing the, blue eyes, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and she's, uh, she gives nothing away. Uh, although she did, uh, she did, uh, Shed a tear or two on the on the uh, mm. on the podium and, and and why not? That was a lovely moment. So uh, so thanks Tony for that. Thank you Bernie. Right, I think we better wrap it up before our chairman uh, uh, Mr Mason comes in with a watch. But uh, that's been really fun. I've enjoyed that. We've um, uh, we've um, covered a lot of ground tonight, guys. So uh, I'll bring uh, this week's edition of the Sports Huddle to a close by saying thanks to Bernie. Thanks to Tony, and please do tune in next week.